Welcome to the Long Thread Podcast about spinning, stitching, and weaving by hand. The podcast is presented by Long Thread Media, publishers of Spinoff, Handwoven, Piecework, and Little Looms magazines. Find us online at longthreadmedia.com. This episode is sponsored by handweaving.net, the comprehensive weaving website with more than 75,000 historic and modern weaving drafts, documents, and powerful digital tools that put creativity in your hands. Now it's simple to design, color, update, and save your drafts. Handweaving.net's mission is to preserve the rich heritage of handweaving and pass it down to you. Visit handweaving.net and sign up for a subscription today. This episode is sponsored by Trainway Silks. You'll find the largest variety of silk spinning fibers, silk yarn, and silk threads and ribbons at trainwaysilks.com. Choose from a rainbow of hand-dyed colors. Love natural? Their array of wild silk and silk blends provide choices beyond white. Trainway Silks, where superior quality and customer service are guaranteed. I'm your host, Longthread Media co-founder, Ann Merrow. My guests are Liz Seitzma and Teresa Hill of Wild Hand, a local yarn store in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Liz opened the store in 2019. Teresa is one of the shop's managers and also an independent dyer whose company is United States of Fiber. So thank you, ladies, for joining me. I'm so excited to talk to you guys about Wild Hand. Thanks for the invitation. Yeah, thank you so much for the invitation. We're really happy to be here. So I have to say, I know that you guys have a great yarn store. And the first thing that I saw on social media that I thought, oh, I need to know more about these folks, is not the yarn you sell, but the yarn you give away. (laughs) Can you tell me about your little free yarn library? Yeah, sure. Uh, So... I don't know if you all are familiar with the little free libraries. Do you have them in your town in Colorado or if you heard of that? I think we it's, do. They're, they're often they're these sweet little boxes with cute little roofs and a door. And it's kind of a take a book, leave a book. Is that the idea? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So those are like all over the neighborhood here. And the idea was to have a version of that for yarn outside of the shop. And my dad built us a little box to put the yarn in based on um, what would fit on the facade of the building, which is mostly glass. So we just had a little sliver of brick we could stick it on. But a lot of the idea came from, you know, our together as a team, we developed a set of community commitments and a focus on, you know, what we're focused on when we're making decisions about how we spend money, um, where we buy our supplies, who we work with, who we hire. Um, And through that, what ends up is a shop with some high quality um, yarns where folks are compensated, you know, for what they're making, especially when we're working with smaller dyers. And that sometimes means, you know, mid to high price point, which isn't necessarily the price point for everyone or every project. So in an interest to be able to bridge that and make sure people feel welcome to come in and hang out with us and work on a project and not have the yarn in our space ever be a barrier for that community. That was part of the library too. And then coupling that with the fact that like we all have a huge stash of yarn um, and people are often looking for where to donate yarn and don't, you know, it's emotional. They might be cleaning out someone's home, someone who made them garments for many years and they don't want to just drop it um, at a regular donation center. So it's also helped with that. We get we know we get little donations in the box here and there throughout the day. It's a part of families will walk by and check in. Kids will grab things. Um, but then we also take in larger donations and we store and sort those in the basement. And then we redistribute them through the little box outside, but also through um, when community groups reach out. We can put together a package of 10 balls of yarn, 10 sets of knitting needles, and we can distribute that out too. So it's it's a lot of redistribution, but it also has been a nice way to bridge that gap for, you know, if we're not the right price point for you or just not for your project or for new people who are trying to start and they don't want to, you know, not sure how much to invest in until they know if they actually like, you know, the fiber craft they're interested in. Anything else, Teresa? What do you... What do you think? I mean, that you pretty much summed it up. It's just nice watching people will literally drive up there with their bag and get books and needles or, you know, people will come back to the store and say, oh, I made this and I got the yarn from your fiber library and they'll come and show it off to us. So we know that the yarn is getting used. Um, People love it. 
and I think it's going to be around for a very long time. So, and, I, and Liz has it where, you know, you don't even have to be in the neighborhood. You can order it. You just pay for the shipping. Um, I just sent one out yesterday to someone that said their friend just needed to pick me up and wrote a note on it. And, you know, so people will do that to, to, to make somebody's day. And it's just a nice feeling to be a part of that chain. You know, it's interesting that you that you mentioned the community aspect of it, because it seems like that's such a way for the folks walking by, whether it's your knitting community or just your local Philadelphia area community to engage with the yarn store. They don't even have to be bold enough to walk through the door. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah, yeah. I think that that's true. What kind of conversations has that sparked, whether it's in person or online? Oftentimes when there's a little free library, it's sort of anonymous. You can leave something and nobody hears Mm -hmm. anything. But it sounds like you actually have a lot of connection with the people who are using it. Yeah, I feel like Teresa can probably speak to this a lot too, being, you know, when you're in the shop, what that looks like or how you observe it. I mean, I think people, most people are very thankful that it's there because it does allow people that couldn't normally not get a nicer skein of yarn. And it's also nice because we get a lot of children. Liz does a lot of donations for children in the neighborhood. And a kid might just need a little bit of yarn. They might not need a whole skein. So to be able to get little bits and pieces to make a project, to see that, it's it's really nice. And somebody said, oh, I might just need a little piece to sew up something or to mend my, my sleeve or my elbow. So all kinds of people use it, male, female, young, old, everybody. And it's just nice to see that diversity come in. And a lot of people say that come into the shop and will say, oh, that's so nice that you have it. And some people, you can just see the pride on their face when they donate the yarn. Like, I have this to give. And it's just Mm. Mount Airy in itself is just a very giving neighborhood for the most part. And to just, Liz is just making that a little bit more far reaching than what just having it there in the shop. Is Mount Airy in Philadelphia or is it adjacent? We're in the city. Yeah, we're near like the big park system. So we're in the northwest corner of the city, close to the edge of where it becomes not the city. It seems like Philadelphia is such a a kind of hub for yarn and, and knitting. I mean, there's there's a couple of really important stores and then you have other manufacturers. And, and I was just reading recently about the fact that Germantown yarn used to be there. So it yeah. feels like you're in a really special place. Yeah, absolutely. We're right next to Germantown, actually. That's our neighbor, neighbor neighborhood. (laughs) And one of the yarn companies, which actually just moved to Mount Airy, uh, but they've been in Philadelphia, is Kelborn Woolens. And they um, do make a modern version or a newer version of the Germantown yarn, um, which is pretty neat. And we sell a lot of it, I I think, because it's just a great standard worsted weight yarn at a good price point, but also that they're local and just the history of Philadelphia, both as like the workshop of the world, but also within that, the textile industry and, you know, times when it was just booming here. And still is just in a different way. You know, not all of the factories that were doing spinning or plying or dyeing yarn exist. I think they're, you know, down to just a few. But yeah, it's I mean, it's something I would like to dig into even more. It's kind of hidden um, in many ways also. So Liz, you mentioned the store's community commitment. And besides having yarn be accessible to folks who maybe can't even pay for it at all, what does that community commitment mean for you folks? Yeah. So what uh, it means a lot of things. So it's a big written, I mean, in a, it's up on our website. We've written out a statement that explains a number of the things that we value and that drive our decision making. But if I zoom out, it is, I've never thought about how to say it in sort of like a very high level, but it's, a, it's about how we take care of each other, our customers, our, our employees, the folks that teach with us, our neighbors. We spent a lot of time in the first year talking as a team and thinking about what it means to create a welcoming space. Um, and actually, I remember the first time Teresa and I met, which wasn't an interview. We were meeting. <laughs> Why were we meeting? Um, I, did a sam- I did samples oh, yeah. for the shop and I wanted to bring them in person. So I didn't want to just stick them in the mail and be an anonymous person. Yeah. So we met up. Teresa dropped off the samples. We had this big, long conversation. The shop wasn't open yet. It was empty. I had just sort of renovated the inside. And and I, I even think, you know, in that time were the beginnings of what became the community commitment. Um, but that conversation, I mean, was things came up in that conversation that I can directly connect to what we have written down on the website and, and what guide, it's not just about what's written on the website, but what guides our decision making 
Um, it was sort of like in the fabric of Wild Hand from the very beginning, from those very beginning conversations with Teresa, with Yolanda, with Jill, who was on the team at the beginning, and Jessica. The first times we met, there were conversations about what it means to feel safe, to feel welcome, what it means to buy, you know, supply certain vendors over other vendors, what it means to have a space that people can move around in and samples that are um, more size inclusive and Maybe I'll let, I'll let you chime in too, Teresa. I feel like I can talk about this on many different angles, but what what do you think when you think of it like on a high level? To me, it's just the basics of being a good human and being that good human in that community, whether it's the actual community of Mount Airy or in the fiber community and how people want to be treated and how we treat people. And Liz was very open when we first opened to ask us how we felt and listen to how things have happened to us in the past. And we made sure that not only do we pe- treat people a certain kind of way, but we treat each other that way as well. And it also comes back to us how we expect to be treated as well. So it evolves and it's just a big circle. And if, if that is maintained, it should be a happy, hunky-dory place to be. You know, like vacation island kind of a thing. But um, we're all human. We all make mistakes. We all learn. And it just is open to that. It's open for interpretation. It's open to be changed when it needs to be. But it's a good blueprint that Liz has put it on paper that guides how Wild Hand set forth into the fiber world. You know, that's an interesting thing that I notice on your website is that your team is very much upfront and not just in a here's who works here way, but these are the members of our team and our community. And that in some ways, you know, that's as much of a part of it as here's the yarn we offer. It's mm-hmm. like, here are the people who contribute to this. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's, it was always that way from the start. And that was I worked in the nonprofit sector. I mean, I think all of us on the team we bring with us these other careers. And some people are still doing those other careers too and working at the shop. And a lot of those careers have to do with service, nurses, educators, folks working in nonprofit like myself and Carly. And I can, like, I see that, that we've always led with community engagement and community. And so actually during the pandemic, you know, there were lots of free resources and support. And the first year I had gotten involved with the Small Business Administration's office here um, through Temple University, and I got some free consulting. And at that time, the the website was still new. Uh, Luckily, it existed before the pandemic. Um, But at the time, I was getting some consulting on our marketing, our branding. And the person noticed that I all I talked about was the community and the people, but all they saw on the website was the yarn. (laughs) And so it was like an aha moment where I realized Their observation was that putting the thing that seems to already be the core of what the business is about is only going to help one have that alignment with, you know, what what we really are about, but also help us with selling yarn too, because we've built a community that cares about the decisions we're making around the yarn. Um, And some of those things in the community commitment are that we're um, thinking about the land, people and animals that were involved with making the products we sell, that we are being conscious of working with brands that aren't culturally appropriating names or colors or styles um, and, and, and a commitment to calling people in, not just calling them out. So we've definitely, if we see something, we have a conversation and often a change can be made. And sometimes people just don't know and we're all on a learning curve. So a lot of the community commitment too is about saying, these are the things we care about and you should feel free to give us feedback on all of these things because we're still learning and growing and we won't be defensive. We will just make changes and move forward. And, and people can expect the same from us. You know, if somebody stumbles, you know, we, we try to give the benefit of the doubt and have a conversation. And uh, I think because of that, like as a community, we all continue to grow and we can do a little part in that piece. But yeah, I think it was, you know, interesting because it always started with the community and I, was sort of missing it on the website. You know, I'm like talking to this e-commerce consultant and they're just noticing all I'm talking about is the team and the people. And I never mentioned the yarn. <laughs> um, so, so from that point forward, we started to make those changes. And um, that's when we started a photo series with the photographer who is a friend in the neighborhood, having our customers and teachers and staff wear samples of the garments and she would take pictures and we have those on the website. Um, so it was a way for us to kind of like keep connecting 
and make putting a face to to wild hemp, especially for people who don't live here and don't get to visit the shop in person. We wanted to make it so that folks from far away can kind of get get a sense for what it means to be a part of Wild Hand. So when was that conversation that you guys had? When, when did the store open? Uh, it was, let's April see, when 12. did we? Yeah, April 12, 2019. Less than a year before COVID came along. And it was probably early 2019 that we met, Teresa, you brought us the sample and then mm-hmm. You know, we laughed, we cried. And in the end, I think I asked you if you wanted a job. I mean, yeah, it was, uh, yeah, I think it was early, early 2019. And Teresa, you're in one of those nurturing professions, right? Do I understand correctly that you, you're a, a nurse or you're in the medical I am profession? a nurse, an RN, yes, amongst other things. Yeah. <laughs> so Teresa, is, Teresa is the most, I've never met anyone like Teresa. <laughs> Truly, I don't, I don't even know what, there's not one word, but she is excellent. <laughs> I mean, Aww. it's just, I've never worked with anyone like her to be so talented at so many things at the same time at that level is like really extraordinary. And so wherever Aww. she lends her talents, we're lucky to get many of her talents at Wild Hand. And I've learned so much from her. Um, but it, I mean, it, it just blows my mind always. She's really extraordinary. And so I, I, I feel like there are all these things that made me feel like Wild Hand was going to come to be, but these little nudges were happening. And when I met Teresa, it was just another reminder, like we just connected and it was, it, it was another sort of like, this is, this is going to work out. We're going to build something. Um, and she and Yolanda um, from the team who've been there since the very beginning have truly shaped what the culture, what the community, what the feeling is at the shop. And forever that will have an impact. I mean, the foundation is set and, and it's beautiful and it's really special to get to do that with someone who's just extraordinary. So yeah, I mean, you should, Teresa, you have to say all of the amazing things you do, (laughs) spinning, dyeing, fleece processing, knitting, weaving. (laughs) So it's hard sometimes to talk about what you do yourself. But one thing I will say, Teresa, is that, you know, we're all talking from different places. And you are actually sitting in, in a booth with your own fiber and it's spectacular. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So you're a dyer? I am a dyer. I like everything fiber. I didn't learn how to dye until like 2014 because I was an ICU nurse and then I stopped working when I was going through breast cancer and going through chemo. And I, so I picked up my knitting and then I met people. Um, I met a friend that was from Germany and in Germany, they learn how to do all these skills at a young age. So I learned how to spin. I went to Harveyville, Kansas to learn how to spin. And I took a dye class with Adrian Bazilla, who was hello yarn and that just sparked something and I just bought all the things and just played and screwed up and just kept going and I really didn't think it would go anywhere because at that time I didn't see people that looked like me and when people saw me I just the comments that people make were unbelievable so that kind of lit a fire into me like I can do it just as someone else and I set out to do that. People weren't expecting an African-American woman. Is that what you Yes. Saying? Yeah. I mean, I had things even at my local, I did things at Green Bank, which is a local colonial place. And just some of the comments that were made to my face, which were unbelievable. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to show you that I can learn this and do it and teach it. And so I set out to learn as much as I could and ask the questions and you know, even though I asked the questions, not everybody was so forthcoming with answers and I had to go research and screw up and it was just a mess to go through to learn. But I feel like I'm learning. Um, it's always a learning process. And I mean, I still screw up, but I turn my screw ups into to sales. So it just makes me happy to play with the colors. Um, if I could be purple, I would be purple. Um, I just <laughs> I just love what yarn and what colors can do to people. And it just makes me happy. The world needs some more happy places. I never liked purple until I met Teresa. And you will not believe how much purple is in my wardrobe now. It's just, and how much purple yarn we bring. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I feel like that, that playing with color and the like experimentation, you really um, draw that out of people, Teresa. 
You make made me like pink more. Wow, look at that. <laughs> Purple and pink together. <laughs> so it sounds like this community commitment of being a, a truly welcoming space was something that both of you took really personally, as well as, you know, there's there's a mission and a resolve to do good in the world, but that you both took it really personally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah, Liz was at a point universal. where, okay, so Liz is, she talks about us a lot, but Liz herself, she, her heart allows her the understanding and acceptance of a lot of people and their faults and things. And Yolanda and I both came to her, when we started working there, we came with our baggage of, you know, being Black in America. And Liz embraced everything about us and allowed us to fumble, to grow, to ask questions, to make comments without repercussion. Because, you know, you go to work and you ask the wrong questions, you could be gone or it could offend someone and they don't want to have to deal with that. But to be able to be who you are without apologies allows you to grow into better people. And to have that available to you, you don't see that in a lot of places. She took what we brought to the table and incorporated it into Wild Hand. And we feel like Wild Hand is our baby as well, so much so that customers come in and are like, is that your stop? No, it's not our shop. It's, you know, we're not, we're, <laughs> we work here, but this I is our baby it. too. And she makes us feel like it's ours as well. Liz, what did you used to do before? You mentioned that you were in the nonprofit world. Yeah, I had done, I helped start and was the director of a nonprofit here in Philly that lives on called Culture Works Greater Philadelphia. And um, we did, they do back office services in the arts and culture sector through a a Model A fiscal sponsorship structure. So it's kind of like a big nonprofit umbrella where we take in individuals, projects and organizations, all doing arts, culture and heritage work in the city. And we pool the resources. So it was all about resource sharing. Um, So we would do banking, bookkeeping, accounting, business planning, insuring, payroll management, legal, so contracting. And we pool those resources. So we go out and get one insurance policy and then everyone would get to share it. Um, So it's a really equitable model and people pretty much just pay based on when they're making money. It's like a tax model, which allows for folks who are tiny to just get what they need when they when they need it, but always have the baseline of like insurance or a contract with your teaching artist. So it was great. And we opened one of the first co-working spaces in Philly. And I had been there for a while and helped grow it. And very interesting. I just, my interest was changing. I had kids that were young and I was finding that I was unable to be as embedded in that community as the director should be. Um, And new leaders were rising up. So I um, had a great, such a great space. I was able to just have a really transparent conversation about my career changes before, you know, I didn't feel, I felt safe having that conversation there and saying, like, I think I might be ready to go. What would that look like without worrying about losing my job? Um, And through that, yeah, just transition. The only other thing I could think that I wanted to do (laughs) was open a yarn shop. And I um, had been doing a lot of business plan work and business planning for other organizations. I was like, why don't I apply those skills to myself, see what it would take. And then from there, things just, um, I had a nice long transition. We found new leadership. I um, had time to like work half time at the nonprofit and work half time on building Wild Hand to have a little income and enough time to make a plan. And our family decided we could take a risk and a space came available a couple of blocks from my house in our little, we have a, a couple of commercial corridors. It's a big neighborhood, but there's a cute little one where the shop is. And, um, Yeah. So I was doing a lot of, you know, executive director stuff, like managing people, writing. And that group was really formative for me in my um, anti-racism work, in my anti-oppression work, in my just development as a human and taking some of my values and understanding where they come from and what I want to do with them. So that really trickled into Wild Hand and developing Wild Hand. And everyone from that org from Culture Works came to the opening, met my new team, and <laughs> it was really, really nice. And you know, the one thing I hoped more than anything, besides the business being able to continue to exist and sustain, was that I would have that with the new team, that I would have this dynamic where we, like Teresa described, where I can be very um, vulnerable 
with the team where I can stumble, you know, not have all the right words at the right time while I'm trying to work through something that feels sensitive or complicated or nuanced. And, and because of that, I feel like there have been certain topics we've, we've been able to help each other grow in because it feels very safe. I was hoping that I would have that at Wild Hand and that we could build that together because I had had that before. And, and it has been that way. It's, I mean, it's like the greatest joy of Wild Hand is getting to be a part of this team. You know, and what you talk about not being afraid to make mistakes and learning from them. I mean, you're teaching people how to knit and that's a pretty important, I say knit, you're teaching <laughs> yeah. people how to work with their hands. And that's a pretty mm-hmm. important element of that as well. Yeah. And Teresa can definitely speak to that. I'm a terrible teacher. Um, but <laughs> oh, you're not. <laughs> but, I, know um, I always say Teresa's, I couldn't teach a fish to swim. <laughs> yeah. The, everyone else that teaches with us is just wonderful. I just watch in awe at their patience and flexibility and creativity when it teachers. comes to working with different learners. It's, it's really, um, it's really cool. And you're, that's such a great point. I think just like forgiving each other, forgiving ourselves. And just having space where you can stumble on whatever it is without that having these like big, um, without it feeling so big to stumble. That's a scary thing when you own a small business, though, is, is yeah, it's um, terrifying. It, taking risks is really important, <laughs> but there is that, you know, oh, gosh, what if I get this wrong? <laughs> What's going to happen? Yeah, yeah. It's, um, I, it's so funny. I feel like, <laughs> I feel like I'm completely not cut out for it and completely cut out for it at the same time. All the time, I feel both of those things. I'm cut out for the rigor of the work, for the analytic part of it, for the team building and emotions and that. But the risk part, oh, it's hard. I know, I know when I need to do it and I need to just like sitting in discomfort is such a big part of it. You know, the uncertainty, And that's where I think transparency and me being able to talk to the team when I'm to be able to navigate that with other people really, really helps bring it into perspective. And yeah, yeah, I feel like I'm, I'm a pretty soft person and that part of it is, is hard for me, you know, emotionally. And I'm someone who wants to be successful. I mean, we all want to be successful and I'm, it's like an incredibly vulnerable. I've never felt so vulnerable as I did the day we opened, I just, I felt like I was playing the part. Like I just, I, I felt so um, like, here's my vision. Here's my idea. And I'm going to open the door and people are going to come in and have an opinion about it. And it was kind of nerve wracking. <laughs> I mean, it still is, but it, it feels much better. That part of it's, it's, is better. Now we get a lot of positive reinforcement um, about what we're doing. And, and I think cause people feel comfortable giving us feedback, I'm not as worried that someone's not going to say something if we're doing it wrong. Um, So I think we've like made that clear enough and we respond in a very specific um, welcoming way to feedback. And then, so I don't have to worry about too many people um, being dissatisfied without letting us know. Where does the name wild hand come from? Um, I, I had a friend visiting. I did a little naming thing with some friends chaotic day with tons of small kids running around. I was like, I got a meeting with the lawyer next week. We got to pick a name today. <laughs> um, so um, a lot of words, put a lot of words on paper and those two came together. But the reason those were on the paper in the first place was uh, the wild was, is a nod to wild as in um, like nature, what's natural, what's in the wild, focus on natural materials um, but also the wild feeling of being a creative and creating and that type of wild. So that's where wild came from. And hand was knowing that I, I wanted to um, be open to carrying supplies for a bunch of different handcrafts. So that kind of felt like, too, it was, it was leaving me with an opportunity to grow into different crafts. And since we started, um, we have we didn't start with spinning supplies. We've added spinning supplies thanks to Teresa's expertise. <laughs> Um, we've added felting, um, then we've added workshops for dyeing and police processing also thanks to Teresa. Um, so the hand, the hand kept it really open. Um, and you know, there's something nice about hand. I mean, there, I think the hands have a lot of nice symbolism and, and meaning. And I think there is this, like the hand sometimes does have a feeling of like community and representing connection and touch and, uh, that sort of thing. So that's where wild hand came. Yeah, it's a, it's a really, nurture. yes, I, I love that. That's, it's a really nurturing thing. 
and you nurture your you nurture your community and you nurture the people that make up your community so you know especially being a female and a creative and your mother that nurture is not just for your family and for your team yeah. but also for your community yeah you're right i like that part of the hands yeah it's funny that we're talking about hands nurturing. Just as I was shoveling snow this morning, I was listening to the first chapter of Michelle Obama's new memoir, uh, oh, The Light We Carry. Wait. And she talks about how, you know, what knitting has meant for her that she discovered oh. it during the pandemic and and how going to something small like knitting helped think of something bigger. So for you guys, mm-hmm. something small like knitting is is also helping you work on a larger community. Yeah. I can't wait to read that book. I know, right? I have it as an audiobook and it, it is fun to have have her read she, to me. She reads the audiobook. Oh. Yeah, that sounds she nice. Reads the audiobook. Okay. Wow. It's pretty nice. Yeah. <laughs> I think a lot of us, every everybody here in this conversation and probably everybody who's listening understands the power of making things by hand. But there is still kind of a thrill in seeing it out in the world. <laughs> like other people are, oh, you're gonna get us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So you said, Liz, that the only thing you could think of that you really wanted to do was start a, a yarn store, a knitting store. Yeah. What made you decide that you wanted to do that instead of, I don't know, <laughs> a, a bar or a, a a flower shop or something yeah, like that? Yeah, yeah. I did have visions of like flower shop knitting um, or a yarn shop combo. Uh, but uh, it was just, I, I'm going from my last work, which did involve a lot of computer time and meetings and, and less like with my hands. I was sort of thinking about in that moment of transition and I was going through like a a tough recovery after I had my second child. I thought during maternity leave, I would figure it out what I wanted to do, Um, but I was recovering too much, so I couldn't. So I got back to work and I then actually felt like I had space to think about what do I really want to do. And my hobby has always, I've always been doing you know, anything with fiber craft since I was a kid, all different versions of it. And I've had different seasons like everyone where I put it aside and then in grad school, got back into it. And I'd say that really kicked it off when I was in business school, living alone in Ithaca, New York. It was cold and snowy and I got, um, and there was a Michaels and I got, you know, really back into it. But yeah, I just, I, you know, as I got busier, the, the work was busy and the kids were busy. I felt like in order to focus my intellectual curiosity on fiber crafting and getting deeper into it, it would need to be my job. Otherwise, there just really isn't a way to do that. Uh, And so that plus having helped other folks start their businesses and having that that business background. I've always been on this journey. I was a business and art major undergrad. I I went to business school, but I was always sort of working with nonprofits and arts and culture. And this feels like it was a point like all those other things I did kind of led to this moment. And um, all those skills I gained, it, it became clear when I opened Wild Hand and as I was thinking about what I would want to do, that this was a really nice culmination of, you know, almost 20 years of career behind me. Yeah. So that's kind of where it came out of. I mean, I was I, I had not worked in a yarn shop. Um, none of us had. Right. Is that right, Teresa? Maybe Je- Jessica had worked in a yarn shop. Jessica had. The rest of us hadn't. So we had that in common that it, we had a love and a passion, but also had other things going on. And hadn't had that experience. So there's like still a big learning curve, you know, on the business side, on the having a shop side. Uh, But I was really up for the challenge too. I feel like I had enough skills to get it off the ground and and enough that I didn't know to keep it really interesting. We've talked to a couple of folks on the podcast before who had closed their yarn shops and, you know, they, after, after decades, but it was, you know, they had, they had run their course and they they had said, okay, we're done now. So this is the first time I've talked to somebody who's, to people who are in the thick of it, who are, you yeah. know, every day I go and talk to knitters and spinners and crocheters. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're really, I mean, since I've opened too, there's been right before I opened the yarn shop closest to us had closed or maybe like four years before that. And another one did close during the pandemic. So I have seen that and sort of thought about what is it going to take now and for the next however many years Wild Hand exists to keep this going? Like, what does it take now? And a lot of those answers are coming from trial and error. Um, You know, they're not something I knew. I mean, I had done the modeling and, you know, made my guesses. Um, But a lot of it's just coming from living it out and making smart decisions based on what's happening in the moment and, and having a nimble team, having a team that understands that and is coming along for that ride with me is, is been a big part of it too. 
How do you make your buying decisions? That seems like on the one hand, the most fun part, I have all of these shelves, I'm going to figure out what I want to <laughs> yeah. put on them, but also the most scary because you have to know that somebody else is going to want it too enough to take it home with them. Yeah. Do you have a buyer or a buying team? How does that work? Uh, no, it's just me. We talk sometimes internally. Um, I make lots of the decisions. And yeah, you know, the biggest barrier is I just wish I had more money to buy things <laughs> because we have a <laughs> list, you know, we, t- the team's always, we're always gathering suggestions and I keep them on a list and it's, <laughs> it's, it's really long. Uh, but the thing that helps the most, so there's not, yeah, not a buyer. And because, you know, my budget was small and I started small, the first couple of years were very small quantities or small number of colors. And it's a lot more admin because I would need to be really on top of reordering. And I wouldn't always, you know, because I didn't have the money in place or I didn't get on it. So now I'm able to make, you know, slightly larger purchases where we're, set up for more months at a time. So it's a little bit less administration. But in terms of actually what we decide to buy, I point to that community commitment to make those decisions. And I think of it like, so the community commitment has a bunch of points about priorities and buying and who we want to work with and what matters most to us. And I think of those like points. I don't know if you know what a spider graph is, but it's like, uh, it's like you're in the center of it. The points are all around you. And the more aligned or the more of a point, the further out it goes. And in the end, it looks like a spider web. And the goal is to have the most surface area. So if I look at all of our commitments, I would love if we had the most surface area, if we were able to buy from folks from marginalized communities that don't usually have their yarn on the shelves, that it was good for the environment, for the land, the people and the animals, that it's local, that it's um, that folks aren't culturally appropriating language or colors, all of those things. And we there's not one thing we carry that like gets 100% on all of that. And that's okay. There's compromise too. We might bring in a more affordable yarn because that lines up with our accessibility or it's local or, but it might have a material in it that's not as, or a process that's not as desirable. So I think on that way, it's it's about the combination and then looking at the portfolio and just always, we're always pointing to that. And also when people reach out and they're not necessarily a fit, I send them a link to the community commitment and just explain that their work looks lovely and it's not a fit for us right now. And I have like a way of of sharing that, but it's really helped as a tool too, to help hone in because it is, there's so much and every week, emails all week with new products that we could be considering. So yeah, I think of that portfolio of, in a very basic way too, do we have everything that people expect in a yarn shop? And we don't, we're still missing, we're missing like, we're kind of like don't have a lot of mohair. We don't, I mean, there are these things in my mind and, and it's okay. I don't have the budget to fill all of the gaps yet, but the vision is that we keep growing and we're able to keep um, making those decisions and, and revamping, you know, when we need to edit the community commitment doing that. But that is our that is the lens through which those decisions get made, who we hire as teaching artists, how we compensate, what days were closed, you know, language we use, all, everything comes from there. It's interesting. You talk about how you influenced Teresa to like more pink and she influenced you to like more purple. That's one of those decisions that I think can be really hard for people who are starting a yarn shop is, is you know, not just what aligns with my values, but trying to figure out what people are going to like. Yeah. Figure out how how to keep a consistent aesthetic, which is part of what's attractive, but also what are other people going to want and like? Totally. I mean, I just felt like we just threw a bunch of stuff out there. I mean, Teresa will probably say it was very, it was less color on day one. <laughs> Yeah, right? It, it was, was very like, muted. More muted, a lot more muted colors. And then, and now I would say that's not the case anymore. Right. <laughs> We're pretty bright now, including me. Like I went through, I used to only wear black. I mean, I had like a very black season. And uh, I actually wrote in a notebook before I started Wild Hand when I was trying to figure out how I want to spend my days and this change I wanted to make. And one of the things I wrote when I look in that notebook, one of the things I wrote was, I want to stop wearing black all the time. I was like, I can go back to the notebook now and be like, oh, yeah, I check. <laughs> I wanted to be able to walk to work. Check. But yeah, I mean, it, it, it is interesting what and I think we can influence that, too, in the way that we have beautiful photos and show colors in certain ways. And the team plays a huge role in that. Whoever's in the shop working is is just helping people think about color and how to put it together. And the team, everyone on the team has a lot of color confidence, I would say. <laughs> you know, they're not afraid to like 
show a bunch of options and not every customer is there yet, but I think they like want that handholding. And those are all little bits of information that come into buying. I also look at, I try to look outside of the industry for fashion trends and, you know, other things like that. I could spend a lot more time on it, but I do a bit of it, try to get like out of the yarn world and into some other design spaces and just see what people like. So things like the the design and layout of the store and your teaching artists in, in the store are really central to what you're talking about. And yet it sounds like from the very beginning, e-commerce was part of your plan and having a store and also a community that was outside of your building was important to you. Yeah. How have those two things fit together? So sometimes you have a store that's very much a neighborhood institution, and then other times having having something that appeals to people mm. who can't come and, you know, breathe the air and fondle the yarn and maintaining that sort of connection between those two. I would think that for a, for a brand new business would be a challenge. Yeah, it's it's one follower and one email at a time. It's like, <laughs> it is like a slow, organic process. <laughs> and there is progress always. Every single day, there's a little bit more audience around it. And I think all of us, we're all interested in a community that feels like that they, that wants to be there and, and is interested in what we're interested in and lines up in terms of value. So I think with that too, it's we attract certain individuals from far away and near too. Yeah, I mean, like I'm just learning about how to be a person that has an e-commerce site. And I spent a lot of time. I did the Goldman Sachs 10,000 Small Businesses Program a year ago. And out of that, wrote a growth plan for our e-commerce. And out of that, in this past year, I mean, I should sit down. It's like a good time to sit down and reflect soon. But I've gotten an SEO audit, a website audit, a social media audit, made changes um, based on those to help attract more people to those digital spaces, done more strategic advertising, just been more thoughtful about like, how are we attracting people? Who are they? How do they want to be communicated with? All of that, just just giving more energy and thought into it. And I feel like there's a little more space this year, which was year three. The first two years is like a lot of scrambling and 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 I'm trying to figure out how it all works. But yeah, before I actually thought I'd start as an e-commerce site and then this space became available a couple of blocks from my house and I quickly just changed. And it's like, okay, let's do the space. And I but I had built the business based on using Shopify based on it's a database. So you're you're kind of building both at the same time. But I had that in mind and I make sure made sure I was entering data in a way that I could turn that switch on. Thankfully, I did that. And thankfully, I turned the switch on right before COVID. So we had 11 months of in-person shoppers and people caring about us and wanting us to exist enough that it did help carry us through that time. I mean, it's still, even with some grants here and there, it's still, you know, very month to month. I still feel small and like I'm hustling all the time and unsure. But there's, we've grown every year. We've grown quite a bit every year. And we have an amazing foundation. So a lot of our focus now is on just building awareness, you know, outside, still locally, people walk by. I mean, do you get this, Teresa? People are like, oh, I never noticed you. I walk by every day, um, that kind of thing. Uh, so I, I feel like there's still awareness building to do and invest in, but we have a really great foundation. The systems are good. I mean, I'm, I've always been good at systems and operations. So like the shipping, all of our systems and operations have really be, been honed by the team and tested and edited. And so we're, we're poised to take on more customers and, and they're coming. It's just like slower, <laughs> you know, just <laughs> takes time. One, yeah. one, one positive interaction at a time is I think. Build they will come. Yes. <laughs> Yeah. I just like how Liz, the, the teaching staff, the teaching artist, mm -hmm. how nice and diverse you have male, female, you know, everything. And it's just nice learning from a varied group of people, you know, and we have more than one person teaching knitting, more than one person teaching crocheting. We've had several people teaching rigid heddle and baskets. And it's just nice to be able to have a variety of people instead of you go to certain places, it's the same teacher every, you know, for the last 10 years when yeah. there's 50 others that could do it just as well that might attract a younger group or a different group or just to open up skill sets. That's a really good point because it not only changes the skill set of the people who are learning, but I think a lot of people who want to grow in their craft career start off as teachers and often teachers in local yarn stores. So yes. 
being able to try that out and also being able to develop a class and also get a following Mm -hmm. is something that, you know, is a big benefit to a lot of people. Yeah, I think actually to that point, too, I was thinking about this season. We have sort of seasons with our teaching artists. We had two who started as customers, bought their supplies and learned the craft through Wild Hand. Three. Yes. Sarah, Richie, Gina. Gina, right. Bought supplies, learned the craft through Wild Hand and then became teaching artists with us to teach that craft. And I think we and that came out of, you know, Teresa, I think it was your suggestion originally with Sarah and Mm -hmm. Gina is just like and about that pathway Mm -hmm. that we can kind of be. I mean, I do in that sense of privilege and responsibility. And I think it's something like this in our community commitment, like what we do with that and what we do with this little platform that we're building, you know, our followers, our emails and so on. I, I feel like we have an opportunity to use that for good um, and to help the folks in our community. And so things like being able to ask someone who learned through us to come and teach. And luckily they all said yes and wanted to. (laughs) Um, But that's, it's really fun. And also since I'm a terrible teacher, it's really good that there, there's like a constant flow of people who are excellent, kind, wonderful humans that could be teaching with us. You know, there's something that I noticed in your community commitment that would be a big difference between an e-commerce store and an in-person store, which is thinking about accessibility in terms of physical accessibility mm-hmm. and layout. And I, I think that that's something that not everybody realizes up front. Boy, you really need to keep that in mind when you think about, I want a store where my shelves are overflowing with baskets and things like that. Being able to navigate it for people who might have different mobility challenges yeah. is a, something that you would not have had to think about it if you just had an e-commerce store. Yeah. And we still, you know, things come up, someone will come in and experience the space differently and let me know. And then, and at the same time, we're all sort of limited by the space that's available to us and what we can do. But yeah, that there were, and we didn't start off that way. I had someone give me feedback and that led to some changes and it's still a work in progress within the footprint we have. We're lucky we're at street level though, that we are wheelchair accessible. That's you know, it's hard. There aren't a lot of um, spaces, but with the e-commerce, you know, part of the audit, the website audit this year was adding accessibility options. So on our website, you can change the way the screen looks. And there are other things that came up that I changed the headings, you know, things it's going to be a work in progress. Always there's there are scans you can run, run the site through. So that is also the parallel to that. And the e-commerce is a bunch of other accessibility um, features uh, that can help help people based on what their needs are when they're looking at a screen and how they hear information and screen readers and so on. But and something we're learning, luckily, there are a lot of tools and resources and guidance on that. But yeah, there are differences. There is that bridging. We're always trying to kind of, we are one, we are one wild hand. But, you know, sometimes there are segments that just, it really just makes sense for e-commerce um, or really just makes sense for in the shop. So there's a question that I could only ask people whose yarn stores were closed, which is like, what, what could you never tell me before? <laughs> Can you tell me what, what is it like to work in the store? What, what are your favorite things and what are the, the biggest surprises that you find just being there in the store? And I ask about the store specifically because I think in a way, when you have a web presence, that's a lot more public. People can see mm-hmm. what you're doing on social media and they can understand how that works. But I'm just curious for people who had never worked in a yarn store, what's it like? What surprises you when you walk in and open the door every day? You want to take it, Teresa? Um, <laughs> the thing that I love is how you can affect and help someone go through a process from picking out the yarn to the finished product. There's some, I don't want to call them customers because some of the customers are so pertinent to us that they're like family, like extended family. So it's like your cousin or your your sister-in-law come in to ask for help. And to see that progress in the community when someone's a beginner knitter, beginner spinner, and they come back and they're showing you, look what I did, look what I did. You feel like a proud mama that you sent your child into the world and they did this thing. And that feels great. I love it when I like to act silly in the store a lot. Um, <laughs> and I will get your grandmother, your child, and they're dancing. And we're listening to the music and people are singing, we're dancing. And it's just a good time in the shop because... I feel like it's a fantasy spot. Like it doesn't have to be serious. It doesn't have to be like business, business. It's a fun thing. It should be relaxing. Mm -hmm. I want it to be a memorable experience and I want you to come back. 
I don't want to be too crazy for you, but I want to be crazy <laughs> enough that I just need a dose of this. And we get people that come back and just to say hi, or I was in the neighborhood and I wanted to stop in, or you remember you helped me a year ago pick out this yarn? Uh, not really, but yes. And they'll show you and you just feel... It's funny because you won't remember people's faces so much, but you'll remember helping them with that project. And as soon as they pull it out or they pull out the yarn, you're like, oh, yes, we talked about this, that, and the other. And you were going through a divorce and this, that, and the other. And it all comes back. So it, it just feels very organic. It feels very unnatural sometimes in a good way because you're just there doing your job, but your job meant so much to somebody else that you're like, oh, I didn't do anything. You're like, they're like, oh my God, thank you, thank you, thank you. And you're like, I didn't do anything. And you're like, no, you did. And I'm like, no, this is what I like to do. So to know that you can have an effect on somebody positive, it's, it's just a good feeling inside. When they make something, mistakes and all, and they're proud of it, you're proud of it with them. To be able to hold people's hands while they're doing things and come in for advice and they take it and they progress and they come back to show it off. You know, we've had people come in to show stuff and if they have, if we know their favorite music, we'll cue it up in the Spotify <laughs> and they will do a Tyra Banks, Miss J walk and model their <laughs> stuff. And they're like, okay, I'm ready to make something else now. So it's just the whole gamut of it is just... There's not one thing that makes it great. It's the people first, the product that we can offer them second, and just working with the team. It's, it's not even working with coworkers. It's a family because Yolanda and I call each other sisters. Carly's our little child. And, you know, and we, we do things outside of Wild Hand together. And, you know, if somebody's going through something, we'll drive to their home just to let them know that they're not alone. So it's a big family, not just going to Wild Hand, not just a team, not just work. It's, it's really a family environment. And we've had that pretty much since day one. And it just gets better and better. And through good things, things through bad things we were there for each other and support and you feel the love you know and sometimes you get it you're like I really need a dose of love today and all of a sudden you'll get something in the mail or if you're going through something you come back to work Liz will have a card waiting for you or her child will make a rainbow for you just those little things just make you feel like people care people really do care they love you and they want the best for you and and to have a part of that in your life I mean I feel like we're all lucky. We all hit the lottery. Yeah. I mean, I, I yes, I agree. It's, uh, it's really a privilege. I mean, it's, I feel the privilege of getting to be in a position to take a risk opening a business. And I do not take that lightly. I see it's a responsibility and also I can, like find so much joy in that responsibility and privilege. And yeah, it's fun. You know, I was worried. I'm, I sort of like, whenever I take those personality tests, I'm right in the middle, introvert, extrovert. I was like, oh man, how's this going to go when I'm <laughs> in the shop with the public? I'm like, is, is that going to feel good? Is it going to be too exhausting? Like it can be when the introvert in me is out. And then it wasn't. It was great. And I really enjoy, you know, when I'm in the shop, um, in the shop, maybe like once a week, in and out a lot, but in terms of a shift, and I don't feel that way. And I, I thought about it a lot. I was like, why in other spaces do I feel tired or that the introvert in me just doesn't want to be in that space? But in the wild hand space, it's because it's, it's our community. It's our neighbors. There's anyone who walks through the door has a common interest. It's, it's natural. It feels like a very natural thing to be interacting with other people, whether you've met them or not before that, you know, pretty much have something in common with you because they walk through the store um, and they're interested in yarn. Yeah, I'm working with the team. I'm just always so inspired by watching how the team interacts with customers and just like being a witness to those conversations and embraces and and like, I love it when someone comes in and they're like, who are you? Where's, you know, <laughs> they're just like, they feel, um, they see like such a sense of ownership and pride from every person on the team, regardless of how many hours that person works in a week. It's each of us shows up as our full selves. And I, I, I feel very kind of like dropped in when I'm in this space, like dropped into myself. Like I can just be myself. And, you know, there have been other jobs I've had where I sort of have to put on a little bit of another layer. Um, but this is not that at all. And it's, 
it's so nice. It's a lot of energy to be in a space where you can't just be yourself. So it's, I can feel that sort of relief of this space where it's just, it feels very um, lined up with who I want to be in the world. And, and yeah, it's great. And it's a really good energy. I'm more like, look, Teresa brings all the energy and I'm a little like lower key. So I feel like together there's a real like dream team thing that can be happening there. <laughs> um, I do have something to say about you, Liz. Oh no. You don't see this a lot. Usually when somebody has a business, especially when they have a business that they're trying to build. But Liz still takes time out that I've seen personally. And when another business is opening or another business that is about to open, she's there. She's given them support. She's given them resources. She's there on their opening days. And she's, she's tooting their horn just as much. And she's given them love. And I think that is amazing because you see another yarn shop open up. They're like, oh, another yarn shop. There's co competition. And she doesn't, as far as I'm concerned, I don't see it as competition. Liz is there behind the scenes, helping them, helping them with their business plan, helping them find things to decorate their shops. I mean, she's helping them like she's starting a shop all over again. And to have somebody show you that kind of love, even when they're still building, that tells you what kind of a person that she is. You know, well, even just looking at the two of you, I mean, Teresa, I know that you were a dyer before you started this, but it's not necessarily all that common to, you know, have your own separate yarn business and work in somebody else's growing yarn business that they're, you know, really devoted to. So being able to work on to have both of those at the same time and have them coexist and not feel like I can't pursue my passion for this one thing because I have to work on this other person's mm -hmm. dream. That's not all that common. You have to be Teresa to make it work. The, <laughs> the uh, extraordinary. And let's add to that. Nursing Teresa has been going back through her. Is it recertification for your nursing? It's a or refresher. Is it a refresher? Yeah. Which is very um, intensive. I mean, it is. refresher is like the wrong word. I'd say yeah. intensive course with a book this thick, 80 <laughs> clinical hours. Um, so she's going to be going back into nursing too and still be a part of Wild Hand and doing all of her things. And I know that she can because she's able to do that, like in this extraordinary way. Oh, thank you, baby. <laughs> you know, all of this. And at the same time, you're sending free yarn to people around the country. That's just it kind of blows my mind as a business model, sending people free, free product <laughs> in quantity, not just as yeah. a sample. That's I know there, I have had another well, I feel like I'm sure people are like, what are they thinking putting free yarn on, on the facade of their building? But the truth is we have gotten, you know, the reason we did it was for the reasons that we said is that there was like a gap and also just an opportunity. People have got yarn in their basements. We have space. We are a place where people come for yarn, but it has created so many new customers for us because they may start by getting yarn from there and tinkering with it. And then they may decide this is something they get really into and they get further in and they want to think about what the materials are that they're using or they want to splurge on a project or they never do that, but they're just a part of our community and bring light and joy and creative energy. And that is worth a lot to, to us. Um, but I, I do not think that it takes away from our sales in any way. I think that it creates new customers. It makes customers more, what's the word? Uh, just connected to us, feel, feel more connected to us. I'll have the same person who will have a $400 order, like also grab a bag of free yarn. So it's not all those things can happen at the same time, which I think is to the point Teresa was making about other shops opening. Um, I have very much an all boats rise mentality. And I, I think that it served me pretty well over time. And I think that that is also a key to our success is you know, I'm thoughtful and strategic and so on. But when I think about competition, I just think about the fact that we have this huge marketplace and, and even more of a potential marketplace. The number of new knitters, weavers, crocheters, spinners, crafters that just our little shop interacts with every month just shows me that there's so much more potential at all ages out there. And I think that the box also helps with bringing kids in and bringing different ages of folks. The box, the little free library. I always call it the box because it's like a box outside. The little free library. <laughs> yeah. So I think that it, it has, it's one of those things that just kind of like benefits us, benefits the customers. And I, I really don't think that it takes away from our business. It just adds, adds, adds. And it's just like the gift that keeps on giving to us and to the community. 
It's when you um, bless it was others, f- it always comes back to you. Right. Yeah. Like Teresa's, I feel like you're always saying that. And it's so true. <laughs> and it's the thing that got us our first like article in a paper. Martha Stewart noticed it. It was, you know, so, you know, that's not why we were putting it out there, but it was, you know, it's a thing like that, that got us some attention and people noticing, which felt really good. I mean, it still feels good anytime anyone like being invited to be on your podcast, it feels really good and really special. (laughs) And it's just, you know, to just have someone want to talk to us about what we're up to. And to get to know us. Yeah, it means a lot. When I was first learning how to knit, I was working, I lived in Jersey City and I worked in Manhattan and I didn't have a car. And there probably are Joanne's and Michael's that would have been accessible if I'd worked hard at it, but I didn't know how to find one. And what I did know how to find was, you know, a local yarn store where I went in and spent, no, this was 20 years ago, but spending $15 on a project was kind of a big deal for me. And I could not believe that I was going to have to get more than one set of knitting needles. (laughs) (laughs) And it took a while before it started to be like, okay, I'm going to have a knitting needle in every size. But getting over that, you know, the catalyst, Mm -hmm. the, the catalyst to get over that hump is a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. You don't realize at first what you're getting into, <laughs> which is really mostly all good and wonderful, but mm-hmm. yeah, not having the supplies be the barrier. I just don't think they have to. I mean, we've had this endless supply of donations come and there are times when it's a little lower, but I'll post something and then someone will show up with eight trash bags full of yarn. And, you know, it just, yeah, it's a great thing. When I think about having been in the nonprofit sector and then now being um, running a business, running for profit, I am being, you know, involved in capitalism in a different way. I think about like what, that if there were any product that I wanted to be pushing out into the universe, um, this stuff feels pretty good. I mean, I feel like the amount of people that come in and, and knitting for me is a lot about mental health too. It's the thing I reach for at the end of the day, the thing I reach for when I'm having anxiety, um, and we hear those stories from so many of our customers that they've continued it, repicked it up or coming to it because of that. And um, I, I feel like it's it's a nice it feels like an OK thing to be pushing, you know, <laughs> to be selling yeah. as a business. And there's this very human joy in pushing what you like onto somebody else that they'll, <laughs> that they'll like it, too. It's, yeah. you know, you have to try this. We gotta if, share if, somebody, it, yeah. if somebody doesn't know how great knitting is, they just haven't tried it yet. Yeah. So you have to bring other folks in. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. Like we get to share in this. It does. It just feels like this special, this special thing. And when you go to, you know, the New York Sheep and Wool Festival, which was last month, and you see 20, 30,000 people all so deep in it, you just, you're like, your heartstrings connect. <laughs> you can just see this web of our hearts connecting to this thing that fills us up emotionally, spiritually connects us. And, and like, I know that sounds cheesy, but it is just so true. I mean, I think we all feel that at the shop. We feel that in those interactions that Teresa described too. It's just, you know, it's I mean, why it's people true. want to come back around and show your projects. Yeah. You know, they, they've rented out the place to have birthday parties because they, you know, one of our very first parties, the little young little girl came oh, yeah. back and, you know, bought more stuff just recently and was like, do you remember me? We had the oh, party. Oh, my gosh. Oh, you know, they came in with the geo cake. Birthday. Yeah. And then, um, you know, the customers that are on our website, they came in. She wanted to throw a surprise party for a friend. So people were part of their lives. You know, you can't get rid of us. <laughs> <laughs> well, Teresa and Liz, thank you so much for spending part of your Friday with me. And I am really excited to go explore the site. Thanks. Yay. Yeah. Thank you so much for having us on. If you ever get down it. to Philadelphia, come on in. Yeah. I will. It sounds like come you guys Philly. have quite the exciting, you know, yarn group there. I, Kate uh, Gagnon Osborne and Courtney Kelly are, are old friends from Kelburn Woolens. So. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah they're exciting. they were so um amazing when I was opening and now they actually moved just a half mile down the street from us Kelbourne mm-hmm. moved um but yeah they they were so uh forthcoming which is guidance just mm-hmm. information I didn't know and um the yarn the two days before the shop opens it was like it's so empty here I don't have enough money I don't have enough <laughs> yarn and them and Owol and Manos all let me consign like consign yarn just so I could look fuller for opening day. So, yeah. Um, yeah. But thank you so much for having us. This was awesome yeah. and just really special to get um, to be noticed and have someone want to talk to us about our story. It means a lot. Well, I really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you. Thank Thanks. you so much. 
thanks to Trainway Silks and Handweaving.net for sponsoring this episode. Thank you for listening to the Long Thread Podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, please rate the show and leave us a comment on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform. Thanks again. Bye.